Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive or if you think like one and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of Xquadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve even more extraordinary results. Because no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Today, I'm getting to speak to Pythagoras. Uh, well, at least it feels like that. This is the Pythagoras of productivity. Um, David Allen is the world's uh, probably top expert in personal and organizational productivity. Time magazine called his flagship book, Getting Things Done, the definitive business self-help book of the decade. And Fast Company magazine called David one of the world's most influential thinkers in the arena of personal productivity. I've used David's material myself for many years. I found it incredibly helpful and valuable. So I'm thrilled today, David, to have you on the show. Welcome and thanks for coming. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for the invitation. This will be fun. You're a fun guy. Yeah, Yeah, this is going to be fun. So I guess let me dive straight in. Um, My first question really is, aren't you bored of this stuff yet? Right. You, You know, you brought out your book over 20 years ago. It's been incredible success. And obviously you've taught the world speaking about this subject. So I'm kind of thinking sitting here today, what are we going to talk about that you've not talked about a million times before? So aren't you still bored? Are you, aren't you bored yet? Well, it, it, let's, let's even extend that. It took me 20 years uh, of my, you know, of, of my work, uh, sort of developing, refining and implementing the methodology I came up with before I even wrote the book. So I've been doing this for 40 years. Right. So I, you know, I scratch my head and I, and say, I should be bored. <laughs> It's like, I should be bored, but frankly, I can't stop. I mean, as we can get into it, it's like, you know, to me, this is just such core stuff about improving people's lives. And, you know, I have a, as you do, I have a, a kind of a ministerial background myself. And so a lot of my work is about just helping people, you know, and I had the good graces to to uncover a methodology that doesn't hurt anybody and does anything, but, but it just improves people's condition you know, so that they can live better lives and, and do better work. And so yeah. I've been doing that for a long, long time. And I, I couldn't stop if I tried. Anybody asks, I go, yeah. okay, well, here, here's, here's what I would suggest. If they're open for any kind of assistance and anything that I've learned over my years, how could I ever stop doing this? You're probably the same. I imagine you, you're in the same boat, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm definitely on a mission to multiply the impact of high-performing leaders, get them out of their comfort zone and into their next level. That's what really excites me. So people make a bigger difference on their planet, on the planet, on purpose, on productivity, on um, all these things. I guess my question is, why is that your mission, right? Why, you know, what what gets you out of bed in the morning when it comes? Why do you feel productivity um, is so important to you? You know, why is it something you want to dedicate your life to? Or you have dedicated your, your working life well, to? Well, my mission, at least career-wise anyway, is to, uh, you know, create a world where people perceive problems as projects and get off the complaining victim, you know, side of the game and get in the driver's seat of their life. And, you know, my work does that. So uh, I, don't, I don't know that I'll create that world by the time I check out and I'll be 77 this year. So, uh, but until then, <laughs> as long as I'm conscious and as long as I can do it, as long as I find people that are open or interested in the methodology, I, I couldn't stop if I tried. So what's the change? If people see problems as projects, um, how does that change things for them? gets them in the driver's seat. They're suddenly going, oh, okay. Because in the driver's seat, well, you know, the zeros and ones of productivity are outcome and action. What are we trying to produce? What's my desired outcome? And how do I allocate or reallocate my resources to make that happen mm-hmm. instead of something else? So, you know, that, that, that's the essence of this. And so when people sort of hop into that game, Outcome and action thinking, you're not born doing, I don't think. 
where we don't hop out of our mothers and go, wow, what exactly are we trying to accomplish, mom? And is this, what's the next step? Is that yours or mine? <laughs> it, it's actually learned behavior. And it's a cognitive muscle, as we've discovered over all these 40 years of, of, of our coaching. It's a cognitive muscle you actually have to train and habitualize. You know, that you don't start meetings without going, well, what exactly are we would like to accomplish by what time today? And you don't end discussions without going, excuse me, so what did we just decide? And what's the next step? And who's got it? Well, come on, you you know, dealing with it, you must you know deal with the, the people you deal with that... Uh, that's an absolutely critical factor for how they operationalize, you know, whatever they're doing. So outcomes and actions, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of high-performing leaders are going to be saying, David, come on, I live in a world of outcomes and actions. That's my whole life, right? That's why I'm a high-performing leader. I know how to get things done. Um, I'm always talking about outcomes, outcomes and actions. I've got to have meetings and plans and, and goals. Um, I get more stuff done than 99% of people. So I'm kind of wondering for those kind of leaders who are already, uh, you know, drive making a lot of things happen in their business in senior roles, what problems might the GTD methodology be solving for them? So, you know, what does this stuff give them that they might not have already figured out? Or, or is it more for junior people? No, no. Fascinating. Big paradox and big surprise to me as I started in this work 40 years ago. I thought the more senior people we be, the less they'd be interested in what I had to say, because obviously, to your point, they're already the reason they're senior. They're already productive. They know the value of systems. They know, you know, yeah, yeah, they do all that good stuff. And it was funny because the more senior people were, the more attracted they were to what I was doing. Mm. So the people most attracted to my work are the people who needed the least. They're already probably you too. They're (laughs) they're already what got them there you know, are versions of this methodology, outcome and action thinking, to your point, right? The value of system, the value of closed loops, the value of action thinking, the value of outcome thinking. Yeah, yeah, I got it. And most of those folks are, are good at that. They're not excellent at that. They don't need any time. They need room. So the, the, what they need is I need more room. I could be a lot more, you know, I could create a whole lot more if I had more space to do it in. Yeah. If I had more, a better team to hand off my million dollar ideas I come up with in the morning to, or if I had a way to track that and as a way to, to leave to, and create more room. So I'm making more intuitive strategic decisions about yeah. the infinite number of options I've got to do. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if, you, if you're familiar with this methodology, that's a lot of what it does is it gives people more space to lift up in their horizon and be more creative, more strategic, more of service, more, you know, more present, tucking their kids into bed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. And I think it's a good point. Somebody must, you know, I use the system myself in, in, in many ways. And that question of building systems and having a, a mental structure uh, and being able to understand what kind of thing is the thing which I'm being presented with right now, and therefore where does it fit in? That stuff is actually really helpful. Thank you. So perhaps you're right there that actually uh, executives who are already working at a high level almost see that there is a need to continue to, you know, there is a real benefit in fine tuning that system thinking, right? That all that machine, those set of habits, because yeah, well, they're generating so much with them, right? It's a high performance engine, they want to tune it up. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, what a formula, what a top Formula One race driver is doing? Constantly improving. Mm-hmm. What are high performing tennis players doing? Constantly improving, refining, getting their coach to tell them, you know, seeing videos of themselves and going, where did I miss that? How, you know, what can we do? You know, at the, on the racetrack, how fast can we get the tires changed? You know, yeah. or how, how, you know, yada, 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 on and on and on. So the real high performers are always interested in, in, in getting better at that. I think at least all that I've met, you know, yeah. wouldn't turn down, wouldn't turn down a tip that could help them do it. And just to get it down to the most mundane for all the CEOs I've coached and the senior executives that I've coached <laughs> after two days of my spending time with them, and they actually have a list called waiting for, of all the stuff they're waiting on for other people mm. to have a list called agendas so that they 
you know, if they need to follow up with someone, they have that menu in front of them when that person sits down in front of them for a one-to-one. And just building in a weekly review reflection time so that they stop the world for two hours and step back and have more reflection time. Those, just those three things. And the two-minute rule. <laughs> Once they get any action you figure out, you actually take it two minutes, do it right then. And I've had many executives tell me that was worth, you know, more than the price they paid me for my coaching just for that one tip in terms of how that improved and refined their ability to execute. Yeah, because very often people, when they start to get serious about improving their own productivity system, they'll end up over-engineering things, right? And in, in a fit of motivation, they'll kind of start to add a billion tiny tasks to their list. And as you say, it's pretty quickly just to get those done as they come up. Or they, or they buy a new piece of software or they get a piece of teamware and they think that's going to solve, you know, all that stuff. And all it does is add more complexity and more confusion. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So I totally see this, as you know, I've, in the process of finalizing my, my own book, Making Time for Strategy. And I'm focusing on that because one of the biggest issues I see leaders have is they just don't have enough time to slow down, to think, to carve out space in the diary and to get out of the, the operational stuff and onto the stuff that really moves the needle. Uh, task management, you know, is a huge part of that. I decided not to over-rotate on that in the book because there's all the, you know, <laughs> definitive works like yours out, out on that. And I think it's, it's really important because you can't really have one without the other, right? You know, if you can't, actually manage all the stuff on your plate it's incredibly hard to to get clarity of thought i i'd say sometimes to my ex you know that um buying a pair of shoes is is on their priority list they mean what do you mean no it's not i've only got three things i've got to do these are my top priorities it's like well yes but somewhere in your life you do need to have some smart shoes to go to your customer meetings on right so actually you can't just focus on your three big business goals there's also this all this other stuff that actually has to find its place well in, this, in your how life about, how about how going to sleep forever. how about going to sleep going to sleep is not on their list <clears throat> hmm. going to sleep is not one of their three strategic objectives yeah but they better they better go to sleep or they don't have a brain yeah right so you know to go to that point it's the magic in the mundane because you have to do the mundane you know, I, I don't care. You look at anybody, look at any of these senior leaders' lives, and they're doing mundane things. They're typing emails. They're, they're having a conversation with a person. They're, <laughs> they're surfing the web for the best shoes to buy. You know, so, so it, indeed, those have different weight in terms of those being completed, the value those will create. You know, and buying new shoes is not going to give you a 10x to your business. Unless it does, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, to your to your strategies and to your to your focus in terms of what you're doing with these folks. But again, that stuff um, that that stuff has to be handled in some appropriate way. You know, I, I recall somebody I don't know who 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 said this, but I certainly stole it from them. The definition of a successful executive are those who solve bigger problems than they make. Mm. But but the collateral damage of what a lot of senior people do uh, ultimately can come around and bite them in the butt. You know, yeah. if they don't handle all those aspects of this, and you must know this given mm. all the people you deal with, but come on, just look at the history of, you know, quote, successful CEOs and where are they now? What happened to their companies? You know, so yeah, they had a spotlight for a while and then, yeah, I won't name names, but you know, now they're now they're at the bottom of the bottom of the wow. food chain. Well, wow. when I was when I was at Cisco, I think we really I spotted two sorts of leaders. Actually, there were the kind of the ones who were putting in place the foundations. They created a lot of loyalty in their team, and they actually created great results. And there's another sort who was a lot of you know who created a lot of impact, a lot of a bow wave of high performance, a lot of noise, quite great, bold strategies, often you know potentially good, but as you said there was this subsequent wave of, of all the impact of that, the collateral damage. And generally these people had managed their career by managing to move on within the three-year period of their original plan. So they never had to actually (laughs) 
show the results for their plan. And actually you can work to a certain degree, but at some point, I think that kind of stuff catches up with you and people start to spot that, as you said, there is potentially the um, more problems have been created along the way than perhaps you solved as well. Yeah, I mean, that equation is, you know, can very much be in question, especially these days. These days now with flattened organizations, uh, yes. with the, the the speed of, you know, change is always there. What's changed is the speed of change. So let me ask you about going back to this idea of you've got your people who are already making a lot of, of, of impact. What are the typical mistakes that leaders will make in this whole area? Like what are areas where they, you know, if you were to say you were to coach an executive yourself, what do you think are going to typically be the areas where they're dropping the ball and causing themselves unnecessary stress or loss of focus? You know, I, I have to say, even with as many people as I've coached over the last 40 years, like it's so unique to the person and so unique to their situation, even to the, to the degree of how sophisticated is their EA. Mm. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if they got a brand new one, you know, that that's not very mature. Uh, they've got a different kind of work to do than if they have, you know, um, sorry, Mrs. Matilda, who's 58 and she's been around the block and she knows you better than you know yourself. And she can, she can write the speech for you, you know, then, <laughs> you know, and the range in between, you know, of all of yes. that, you yeah. know, or if you have a chief of staff, who's, you know, I work with uh, one of the chief of staffs who's, you know, with one of the biggest financial organizations in the world. And, you know, he came from the military, you know, as a very senior person in the military. And, you know, he literally, literally was writing speeches for the CEO and, you know, and managing that. So again, the huge range of what was the, you know, what I would say if, okay, let me scratch my head and say, okay, if I had to find the common denominators, I would say, first of all, they, they're creating more than they're handling. Their creativity is running outside of their systems and their people. Uh, yeah, that's you know, I coached, uh, and and so f- making sure they've got the right people, the right team, and the right uh, process to engage with that team, you know, appropriately. And what are they modeling? You know, in the book, uh, you know, I'm we're writing right now about teams and getting things done. You know, one of the biggest issues is what is the senior person modeling? Are they, do they have their computer open and their phone open during a meeting? Are they coming late to the meeting? Are they, are they even coming to the meeting that they should be in? Yeah. You know, because they're so engaged in their big strategic thing and they've got this thing to do or whatever. And then they, their collateral damage is a lot more subtle than they may realize in yeah. terms and, of... And they won't get what, called out for it either, really, right? I mean, I am... Oh, um, of course. <laughs> of course. But actually, I find that whole meeting cultures end up being created like this. Uh, I remember one time I was coaching a, a pharmaceuticals team, a very senior team, and we'd arranged to have a break as part of the, during the day. And people came back, and there were eight, you know, eight highly paid senior leaders in the room and two of them were still not back and um you know 10 minutes later they kind of walked in oh sorry we're late you know they come for smoke outside or something I, I can't remember what it was now and everybody kind of looked up from whatever they were occupying themselves with you know chatting away or on their phones or whatever just waiting for these people to come and it was like yeah, yeah no problem no problem and then they turned to me <laughs> and so I had a choice in that moment did I kind of just take it easy, they're my clients or whatever, or not. And I decided to play the hardboard and say, look, it's fine, it's your time. But I just want to make you realize these people here, these 10 people, including the CEO, have been waiting for, uh, for the right. last 10 and, minutes. And, and, and what, would the, what was the loaded payroll cost? Well, yeah, well, phenomenal. Plus, I mean, everything else, right? The, the, the opportunity cost, right? What, what could those, what could this team have created in the 10 minutes that they spent? Yeah. And then of course it was also put pressure on me because suddenly I didn't have the hour left before we finished. We only had 45 minutes, which is materially different and um, kind of slightly off topic, but I think this point of what you model, what you tolerate, 
uh, and the agreements that you create within a team are really, really important because I was, I was amazed this team were basically giving each other a free pass to, to show up 10 minutes late to their leadership team meetings. I like to say how we do anything is how we do everything. So what did that behavior show about their quarterly business reviews and how their team perceive things? So I kind of digress, yeah, well, but I think this, this well, it's, not, it's not a digression. It's, it's one of the most key elements of productivity enhancement and magnifying your, your reach. It's like what standards are going on around you for the engine that you're in that you want to magnify. Yes. And your standards are what you allow to happen, to your point. Yes. Right. And, and usually you don't recognize your standards until somebody steps on them. So if you're used to meeting starting on time and they're not, you get really pissed. You should. <laughs> and I, and I think the think... other thing is, I think the other thing I see yeah. is, um, you know, is this ability, first of all, to manage your own workload, as you said, is your creativity bigger than your capacity to handle things. Um, but then also, if you're unaware of your own personal constraints uh, and the things that you're dropping or not able or not not getting to, it's very, it's really hard to understand that for your people as well. And so very often we pass things down, delegate things down, not really aware of how long they're going to take, not really having to find what the thing is we're even giving somebody, uh, and not even able to coach our own team around. Well, are they really overloaded, or are they just not very effective in using their time? Um, what is actually on their plate? And I say, if most people don't have a a definitive list of what what the open loops are in their world. I think it's really really hard. So people just end up feeling overloaded because their boss keeps sure. giving them stuff, but they can't well, have a conversation. In, you know, in my methodology, what I know is if you haven't kept track of every single commitment you've got, you will overcommit always, simply mm-hmm. because you don't know. You don't know what the inventory is. So, oh sure. So the word no doesn't show up in your vocabulary simply because you don't feel comfortable uh, saying no to something if you have not, if you have no idea, if you might have the room to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I have room to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Give it on. And especially if that's your boss. Or your and, and there's often, there's often commitments which are not articulated, right? So as in, if you stop and think about it, you realize you should be spending time developing your team or uh, spending time yeah. with your family, your point. right? And yet they're yes, not teaching. Project list. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you know, you know, I talk about the different horizons and strategy and, and, and vision, you know, those that are up in the, in the higher horizons of your commitments. And those, if you don't have those really clear, you, you generally will always overcommit and it's very difficult to then, then prune and curate your, your commitments, which mm-hmm. is absolutely critical, especially the more, you know, come on, anybody listening or watching this, I'm sure have discovered that the more senior you get, it doesn't get easier. Hmm. You know, it doesn't get less in terms of opportunities and things to do. Yeah, maybe when you finally retire and you're just on three boards and, you know, and, you know yeah, maybe at that point. Uh, but even then, you know, I've coached people that were right at the sort of retirement uh, side of things, but they were so involved in some not-for-profits and charitable things and service things that they wanted to be doing, they still had that same issue, just about, you know, more things yeah. than, the, than the company. So, well, yeah. And one of the things I find myself doing with anybody at CEO level or, or, or below or wherever is actually, I'm going to say it's even more, well, it's just as prevalent at the CEO level as, as anywhere else in the organization, which is that it can be super easy to focus just on the next quarter and that's why so many people kind of say it'll get quieter next quarter or let's follow up on that next quarter or whatever because all they're really all that's really in their frame of reference is what have I got to do this quarter um and I like to say you know if you as a senior leader is not thinking about what's around the corner who else is nobody else is and so being able to manage those commitments at different horizons like what are we actually trying to create in the next three years and actually how does that matter now what are we doing this month for this week that's going to move the ball forward on that. And I think sometimes people forget that because they're so swamped by the operational day-to-day. Yeah. Well, let me ask you something, Richard. Uh, We've got a partner, you know, uh, uh, delivering a a lot of my methodology out there, very successful uh, company. And they've been, they've 
become part of a private equity firm. Mm. And most private equity is looking for the five-year return, give me 10x on our money, then, you know, whatever. This private equity firm is into the long game because they invest in educational companies. And they said, we have a different value than the five-year return on investment. We want to know that you're creating value out there. And, you know, delightful to run across, you know, some, you know, deep pockets out there who actually have that value and are actually putting, you know, and, and making that work. In other words, they, they're actually doing that and, and making those kinds of decisions and giving people the freedom to not have that sort of quarterly whatever. So I'm curious, given all the people you're dealing with, are you seeing a trend toward sort of higher long-term value thinking, you know, in terms of where the resources are? Or is it all still sort of driven by the market and the quarterly return? Hi, this is Richard. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to tell you about my book, Making Time for Strategy, which is being released in January 2023. It deals with perhaps the number one challenge I've come across in my coaching work with top executives, how to get out of the weeds of operations and make time for the high impact strategic work that will lead to breakthrough results. If you're serious about multiplying your impact, you do need to elevate your use of time. So I highly recommend that you head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com where you can find out more about the book and download some free chapters. Now, back to the conversation. It does vary. I think there are a lot of private equity-driven companies where there is that, that still that a lot of short-term pressure. Um, I... I often say one of the challenges of leadership is balancing stakeholder demands, right? And actually as CEO, your job is fundamentally for the long-term health of the, of the business. And I, I love what Jeff Bezos of Amazon says, right? He says that it's in the long-term where shareholder interests and customer interests align. So if you actually have that as a North Star um, and focus on creating value, that it benefits everybody, right? But that does require, I think, a look at the commitments that have been, the agreements that have been made up front. Clearly, you know, if you sign up to a private equity company and say this is basically the deal, right? Then I guess you have to just pay their by their rules, right? But, um, but I think actually stepping back to say, you know what, like these are the fundamental principles of how we're trying to create value. And then actually look for private equity partners, for example, investors who are who understand the bigger game that's playing. So I think there definitely are players like that who are able to understand the bigger game. Clearly, they want that they want to return, and probably you do as well, right? And you're probably not going to in this world of uncertainty. You're probably not going to bet everything on a hockey stick that's going to start to come over over the zero line in five years' time or six years' time, right? Clearly not, because there's so much volatility. But I think. Uh, for me, it's a job of leadership to actually make the case for the right strategy, right? And then to make sure that you hedge your bets in a way that, you know, you are generating returns over the different timeframes. But I think that and so, the biggest danger is when you over-rotate to quarter by quarter because you locally optimize each time. Actually, you don't end up making the return you wanted in five years anyway because... Um, you didn't do the things in year one that you actually needed to do. And I think that's where the, the question of influence comes in, of actually aligning people. Rather than, you know, it's easy to take the easy route and just say, yeah, 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 we'll do this quarter. It takes real leadership to say, I'm playing a bigger game. Yeah. And a lot of it's going to be, what are your constraints and what are your resources and what are they demanding? Yeah. You know, to your point in a way, I just had dinner last night with a, a long-term a great friend of ours, uh, who uh, runs an investment company and uh, he comes out of the food industry. He was, he, he ran Unilever in Russia for years and, and has done a number of other things. And AJ, you know, is now involved in an investment firm that is uh, attempting to change agriculture's sustainability. Mm. So the chemicals they're using, the, the machinery they're using, the, the, you know, what's the, what's the environmental impact 
you know, that agribusiness is making. And, and the Netherlands is one of the biggest food exporters in the world. And uh, it's like fascinating and fascinating to know what they're doing. So obviously, if you're coming to an investment firm that has that kind of value system to it or yeah. the constraints called, look, if you guys don't step up to the plate, you're going <laughs> to you're going to pay a price, you know, yeah. downstream here given regulations, given, you know, whatever's coming up from a government and, and, and I don't know, you know, from all the other angles, yeah. you know, about that. So and yeah, so, it's fascinating, fascinating world. You know, yeah. And I'd say there is definitely a shift and I'm, I'm definitely seeing uh, before the deal is made, people actually saying, you know, what kind of investor are we looking for? You know, and you, you make your choice. Right. Uh, but it's in that moment, I think, where you have the ability to create agreements I think that's the key thing uh, and, and to get alignment because it's like a marriage, right? You know, you don't want to like find out afterwards that your partner has very different views on, you know, where, where they want to live, how many kids you're going to have. But, 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 but you always will. You always will. You know, you, you, you won't discover their standards of how many dirty dishes they let pile up before they clean them. You know, <laughs> that, that's usually not in the, in the love is blind, you know, kind of context. You, you, don't, <laughs> you don't get to those. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so back to back yeah. to topic, I guess, uh, yeah. because you and I probably work with anybody, no matter what they're, you know, I've coached people in the, in the, you know, a lot of my initial training in corporate training and coaching was in aerospace in the US. Right. And these people were making bombs and killing people. People said, gee, David, how do you feel about that? I said, well, look, you know, they're doing the best they can with what they have. And, you know, if, if they can learn how better to manage themselves and are coming not so much from a fear and protective standpoint, they make better choices. Hmm. And so, and, and people will do more damage to each other in a relationship than wars <laughs> yeah, <laughs> emotionally sure. anyway. And so, so, you know, I had to make a choice about whether I was willing to help anybody who was interested in, in the help that I could give them. Hmm. And I made that choice. So right. that's, that's still what I do. Again, it's back to, if I could teach somebody, to get more in the driver's seat of their life, they'll make more of their decisions out of a conscious choice and an intuitive choice, you know, that's maybe spirit driven or, or, mm. you know, heart driven or whatever, than just being reactive, you know, and, and fear-based. So I had to make that choice a long time ago. I didn't have to make that choice. I just, you know, I was looking for a good job and anybody would pay me to do what I was doing. So, right. <laughs> but after the fact, you know, looking back on it, I say, yeah, so it didn't make any difference. Yeah, that, yeah, that's fascinating. I'm, I guess I'm, let me let's get back to this topic of of teams because I know this is a subject you're focusing on, and we were talking about this, the leader, first of all. But how does this working out in the team setting? You know, I work with a number of executive teams. You know, they're often teams of high performers. They're not necessarily high performing teams, right? Because they're functional leaders. They're quite they're really they're great at what they do. They know their technical thing. But but this, perhaps as a team, they're not always coming together with the cohesion or with the alignment uh, that they need, or they're not always focusing their decision making on the big issues or whatever. So, you know, with this lens that you have of, of looking at the world, you know, how, what do you see team dynamics? Uh, how, do, how do you interpret those? You know, what are the issues that you see there? Well, I, again, I have to admit to a bias here. Because, uh, you know, we were one of the first organizations to implement holacracy 10 years ago. So the whole idea of a self-organizing team so that there's no, there's no job titles, there's only roles and accountabilities for those roles. So, you know, one of the first questions I have, and it's true for GTD as well, if we were working with a team, who owns the team? Hmm. Who owns the, res- by the way, what's the purpose of the team? That's the first question to ask. Because you only have a team because there's some reason to have a, a team, right? You don't have a team. Well, you may have a team to just party. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. see, team, see, I take team in the, and we're taking team in a much larger context called anybody you intersect with that you're trying to accomplish something. Yeah. So you yeah, and your Which is now most of the reality for people, right? Most of, most of the work goes in informal collaborations, right? Well, it's it's like, you and your kids. You got two kids. You're yeah. a team. Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish together or what do you need to accomplish together? And so dealing with what are the principles that have to do with that was like, well, okay, well, why are we working together? So let's What's take an example. Purpose? If we're, um, let's say, 
that you get together in a new, you know, you, a project team is assembled, let's say, right? And you, you know, you're charged with leading this particular project team uh, or, you know, you're convening this team. What would be the first things that you'd want to talk to that team about? Or what, are, what are the kind of agreements or discussions that you would want to have? I mean, one about purpose, and, and, but what else would you be yeah, talking well, about? What's, well, getting clear about the purpose, maybe it's obvious. The purpose is to launch X product by March the 1st. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, that's fine. You know, and of course, what's the purpose of the product? You know, then you can back up into the sort of, uh, you know, my natural planning model, which is, okay, what's the purpose of all of this? And then what's the vision of wild success? What would, what would wild success look like for this team by when? And maybe that's a number. Maybe it's an experience. I don't know. Like what, what is that? And then, and then. And let me just slow you down. Do, do you think that teams don't know their purpose? Sometimes, I mean, cause it sounds like I'm just thinking in business, doesn't every team know why they're being assembled? They think they do, but they don't. <laughs> From my experience. It's like you really drill down and go, well, wait a minute, why are you, you know, the five whys, you know, I don't know, McKinsey came up with that, whatever. It's like, well, why are you, why are you doing this? Yeah, but then why are you doing that? Yeah, but then why are you doing that? By the time you get to the fifth why, you, you, you've uncovered the reality of what's driving the decisions yeah. of the owner of the team, if they even well, know. Well, one, th- one thing I like to say <laughs> to exec teams is, uh, you know, is, this, is the company thriving because of you or despite you? <laughs> Right. So what's the actual contribution that you believe you need to be making to this business? Perhaps it could run completely well without you ever having right. to meet up. Right. You know, just running as it is. And right. the other way is like, what's the success criteria? Like, how would you, you know, what's the finish line in a meeting or right. in a quarter or whatever? Or even when do we know yeah. we can disband this team? Right. Like, what's the trigger? That, absolutely. I mean, that's what I say. Just do the hypothetical. OK, team, let's just not meet anymore. What's going to happen? Mm. yeah it's a downside and that's where you start to uncover what the purpose of the team would be once you get that clear don't let anybody come 10 minutes late excuse me i think this is pretty important because what what the why this team exists is x y and z you know you want to endanger that well i had a great example with with one team i was working with they believed that they were an operational like execution oversight team they're senior leadership team they said like we're basically make sure we should be here to make sure that the business is delivering its numbers when we went through what the stakeholders required of that team like what what their asks were and how the market was changing they realized you know what we're in the public sector so um at least we have public sector customers and so if we don't change policy in the public sector if we don't change the way government thinks and the budgets that are available um and actually how our own organization operates as well. It doesn't matter how much of a well-oiled execution machine we build, the budgets aren't going to be there for all the innovations that we have coming down the pipeline. And so actually, we're not really an operational oversight team. We're actually an influencing body. And that's our core role. And that shift in understanding that actually the biggest thing was, was, was that stakeholder uh, interactions that completely changed how that team saw itself and, and where they put their attention. Yeah, so a perfect example to the point. Well, you need to know why you're a team. So, what, so once, once once that's established, where would you go next? What other questions would you? I ask would go team? next to. I would go next to say what's what would success look like? You know, then we'd have that conversation called. Okay, yep. if this were wildly successful, tell me, and then you could brainstorm that. What would wild success be? How would we know? And how would we know when we're done? And how would we know when we've done it right? Mm. And it's excellent. What would it look, sound, or feel like? And I mean, look, sound, or feel like if we were there. And so getting clear about that game, because now, you know, the the natural planning model is it just operationalizes. Yeah, you could know what the purpose is and everybody still, you know, flounders around, but then you need to get a little more operational. Yeah, you know, given the purpose of that team, do you know which email to write first tonight? Maybe a little bit, but maybe not. Maybe hopefully somebody else is going to figure that out. Well, let's 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 jump forward a couple of steps in the process. So let's imagine that they've kind of figured out that kind of stuff, Um, and then you fast forward a couple of months, and they're you know you're in a team meeting, and 
it's just not a satisfying meeting, right? The people are issues are not getting dealt with, or the discussions are long and rambling, or yeah. um, well, yeah, how to the GDP, kind of, yeah. yeah, to the GDP point, it's called. Well, once you have purpose and and vision, you know, is it you know what would come next? Is basically have you have you you know then then it's brainstorming, you know. Okay, now you have that. But that's different than current reality. So what is all the stuff in between current reality and what that ideal vision is? And that needs to be approached from a brainstorming standpoint. Oh, give me anything that's potentially relevant thing that we need to consider. So that's where brainstorming comes in, where you want to get all the potentially relevant data. Next step would be then once you have all that potentially relevant data, how do we organize this? What are the key things that have to be accomplished relative to getting there out of all that stuff we just thought about? Hmm. And then... You know, in a, and then, you know, that's the organization piece. And then more from a team standpoint, as opposed to an individual standpoint, the team may not need to come up with next actions on all those key objectives. They just need to know who owns them. Right. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that's so where I was going. going. I was wondering about whether, you know, you try to apply these the, the GTD principles, such as doing a weekly review, right, into a team, right? Or uh, those kind of things. So exactly. do you recommend well, that teams actually step back well, and whoever, do that or is that not just not practical in the life of a, of a corporate whoever owns it has to decide that what recursion do you need to review and status checking on the various parts of this hmm. do you need it do you need a stand-up meeting every day come on in the ideal startup world sometimes hmm. you, you, you got to do that or do we just need to be quarterly to see how we're doing against all these things and that could be could be either one and somewhere in between probably weekly you know holacracy generally you know, the tactical meeting says, okay, what are all the things this team needs to keep its eye on in terms of status in order to, you know, in terms of what we're responsible for as a team and how often do we need to review that on what recursion? Well, the owner of the team has to do that. Now, you can collaborate with the team and the team could decide that, but the owner has to decide whether they want to make a collaborative decision you know, yeah. about that. Yeah, because I, I think one of the things that I see in teams is it's really it's especially easy for teams to get lost in the weeds, right? I mean, sure. um, there's two things. Like, you know, they either look at the very, very high-level numbers, right, so they have that perspective, or they've just got, like, all these actions that have been carried over from previous meetings and initiatives and projects, and they tend to generate more projects than they close, so the project list just increases, um, especially at the exec team level, because there's always someone to delegate to, right? Oh, let's do something else. And they, so they don't actually manage the organization's commitments that well because it feels like for them there's an infinite pool of resources below them <laughs> to to manage this but I think that mid-level of sure. you know between the kind of things that we have to get done because we've got the next quarterly cycle coming up um you know and the very very high level strategy I think there's a lot of things which tend to get missed again how is this being modeled in the culture just look around, look look at how the senior team is doing it, because believe me, that's going to get magnified for each one of their direct reports and how they manage their team. Yeah. Sometimes the senior team works pretty well if the problem is the next level. That's often the case. You know, the next level, I think, is, is one of the key areas because it's the pivot point between the, the leadership and the rest of the organization, right? You, the next level probably expands out six or seven, seven times. So if you've got exec team of, let's say, 10, just for round numbers, you probably have a second level that might be 50 or 60 people. And sure. I think that level of leaders um, and so, has a huge reach. Yeah, and, and bringing this down to <laughs> my work, if you don't have people who are managing themselves well, that creates crappy meetings, creates crappy emails, creates crappy having to follow up on something that somebody didn't follow up with, keep, yeah. creates crappy uh, unconsciousness about how, what our commitments are. You know, all kinds of stuff falling through the cracks, and that's why people are down in the weeds. They're trying to, yeah. you know, un, you know, <laughs> they're just trying to deal with a lot of stuff that's just not being helped, not being done very well. You can have a great team meeting, but if people walking out of that meeting are not handling what they've committed to well, yeah. then you're going to have to have another meeting, and then you're going to have to have another meeting about the meeting they should have had, and then you know, yeah, yada yada. So it, yeah. it, it really comes down to, in, in, to a large degree, once people individually catch, you know, what I teach and the getting things done methodology, these are not issues. Because if some person in there is unclear about something, they've got that as an agenda. I've got my attention on this right now. What's the next step I need to take? I need to talk to Bill about that. Yeah. 
And you need to go offline and not try to do that in a meeting that six of the people don't even care about that conversation. You should have handled that conversation when it first showed up. Yeah. And that, you know, I'd infinitum. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're really saying or what I'm, I'm hearing, uh, it might be a nice way to kind of tie this up a little bit, you know, is, is this thing around, you know, what you're modeling and the culture that you're creating because it's the same in so many areas, right? As a leader, as a leadership team, you're creating a, a culture around how you manage people. You know, I've talked to my clients about that, around how you, where you focus and the level of ambition you have. Again, that's something I'll, I'll, I'll deal with around the amount of time you, you spend working on the day-to-day operational versus the bigger picture. And then, as you just said, that whole culture around are you actually managing yourself effectively? Uh, you know, what are you showing and how's that therefore demonstrating um, your own priorities and, and values to the people you know, in your own organization? And I think that's probably the, the, the key thing here because yeah, everyone's got something which is getting perhaps some of the headlines done, but what's the collateral damage that you call collateral impact of that? You know, what are the problems that you're creating along the way? And over the scale of an organization, that could be huge, right? So uh, creating a culture where people learn to manage themselves first and foremost is, is essential. Yeah, and I guess maybe a way to, since we're kind of starting to get to a little bit of a wrap on this conversation, just to, to let anybody watching or listening to this know, the key element, you know, I wrote the book, Getting Things Done, and the stress-free productivity. A lot of people think about productivity as productivity has got a bit of baggage around it. You know, work harder. Oh God, I got enough to do. I don't need to be, I don't need to have more stuff to do. Jeez, I got plenty. Uh, or I don't need to sweat anymore. I'm sweating plenty. Uh, productivity just means produce some desired result. You go to a party to have fun and don't have fun. It's an unproductive party. So, you know, so when you think about it from that way, but a lot of the, what I uncovered is not about working harder. It's about being appropriately engaged mm. with your life and your work. What does appropriate engagement mean? Are you appropriately engaged with your dog right now? Are you appropriately engaged with your health? Are you appropriately engaged with your team? Are you appropriately engaged with your company? Are you appropriately engaged with your board? Mm. You know, appropriate engagement doesn't mean you go finish all it. It just means you better be clear about what's got your attention about that relationship. Right. And then make sure that you work, go through the process of what has my attention? How do I get that off my mind? Because there's an inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done. So you don't have to go very far to see how to start to implement the personal productivity stuff I came up with. It's just what has your attention? Why? It has your attention usually 99% of the time because you're not yet appropriately engaged with your dog, your health, your board, your team, mm. or the project. Right. It's well, what would appropriate engagement sure. look? Yeah, you're not sure how yeah. to deal with that. What so would engage? Right. How would you how would you get appropriately engaged? Well, I need to identify what the outcome is that I'm after. I need to decide the action step that needs to be taken to move the needle on it toward that outcome. And I need to organize both of those things, the outcomes and actions that I've committed to about all those things in some trusted external brain. So I stop using my head as my office. Your head's a crappy office. Mm. It wasn't designed to remember, remind, prioritize, and manage relationships between more than four things. Don't shoot the messenger. This is cognitive science in the last 10 years has proven that. So your brain is great for making intuitive choices off the menu, but not trying to remember the menu. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of what my stuff is about, is getting people much clearer about that. And back to your point initially, it's like, how does that affect the team? I walk into a team meeting and go, what's got the team's attention? And the reason it does is because they're, the team's not yet appropriately engaged with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And often that's just a, it's not, people aren't thinking about what has my attention, right? It, they're not doing that meta level. Their attention is what's on. Is- well, ask any of you who've been listening or watching this, where has your mind gone? It has nothing to do with what Richard and I have been talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. And even in the conversation, I was, my mind was going off and going, oh yeah, you know, these things, have, these things, uh, I need to be dealing with and on my list at the moment as well. Right. Because this is always a work in progress um we never and look, I'll, I'll be 77 you know in a few months and, and, and i still have to do this i don't get scot-free because i made it up i i made it up because i like being spontaneous and follow my intuitive judgments and whatever i just found that i can't do that without doing this methodology to free up the space in my cognitive 
Well, I remember asking you, David, um, last time we spoke, I said, like, don't you ever fall off the wagon yourself, right? I mean, the GTD system involves a few things you've got to get done. And you said, at least there is a wagon to fall off on, you know, because you can then get back <laughs> onto it. And I thought that was a great, that, that stuck yeah. with me because, yeah, sometimes life gets busy um, and perhaps you don't keep all the Well, if you're not falling off the wagon, the wagon may not be moving fast enough. You know, or you know, right. it may be pointed in the wrong direction. So you know, you may be, be not, may not be playing a big enough game. But I fall off the wagon regularly. Sure, I just know how to get back on, how to get back on fast. Right. Nice. Well, hey, David. Um, thank you for giving giving us your time today. It's been fantastic to to chat as 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 always, and uh, and just discuss these these ideas of. Uh, your outcome and action thinking, and what has your attention, and so forth. But every time I I engage with these topics, I kind of re- realize that I need to up my own game, right? There's things that are not on my radar, perhaps that need to be there. And there are areas where perhaps I can kind of sharpen up again. So thank you once again for, for your generous uh, use of time. And um, looking forward to again to the book on Teams when that comes out. If people want to get in touch with you um, uh, or, or kind of find out more about your work, what's the best place for them sure. to go? Well, just go to gettingthingsdone.com. Depending on where you are on the planet, you know, we've got uh, certified trainers and coaches all around the world now delivering this methodology in more detail. So if you want to be get one on one coaching or, you know, want to go to a public training or get an in-house training you know, of our stuff, you'll see that just go to gettingthingsdone.com and click on training and coaching and then, and then type in your country and you'll see who's who's our certified you know partner and, and certified trainers in that area. So. You know, that's the easiest way to, to get in touch. Uh, if you just go to gettingthingsdone.com slash YouTube, you know, you're going to see me, my three TED Talks. You're going to see me talk about, you know, I'm, you get sick of me just talking about this same kind of stuff, but in many different ways. And that's a way if you just want to snack on what this is, you know, that's it. And obviously the book, Getting Things Done, the new edition, you know, Getting Things Done, you know, is a great manual for everything I've been talking about. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely recommend the book to people because the, the book really allows you to engage with these concepts and really learn the language, uh, which really helps things stick. So um, that's definitely recommended as well as those other resources. Well, thanks, David. Um, many thanks. Um, one last comment. Like, what's your mantra? Like, you know, if you were to leave like one message, uh, one saying or, or one word of wisdom, how would, you, how would you want to end this? Well, your head's for having ideas, not for holding them. Perfect. Thanks, David, and speak soon. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now, let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.